0: all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ amen we thank God for this morning um, indeed great is his faithfulness unto us even as we think about what um, God keeps doing in our lives and how he he protects and preserves us in his kindness and in his, in his love we thank God that he brought us together to fellowship together even under the preaching of his word. Um, We continue our series on a church after God's own heart. And today, I want to look at the fact that a church after God's own heart is mission driven. A church after God's own heart is mission driven. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. And I'm going to read from the ESV um, Bible. Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Let me read from verse 16 just to gain a bit of context on the passage. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And when Jesus came and said to them, and Jesus came and said to Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, it is your word. It is not entertainment. It is not something that we hear and continue on moving with our lives. We, we hear your word and it bears witness to our souls and our consciences. We pray that even this morning, oh God, you will convict us as we hear your word. It will be something that drives us, O oh God, to, to love you and to honor you and to glorify you, O oh God. We pray, Father, help us to hear your word with our spiritual ears and open our hearts, O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Glorify your name as we hear your word today. Amen. What comes into your mind when you, you think about the Titanic? What comes into your mind? I I know that most, uh, a lot of people, (laughs) for for most people, what they think about, they think about a man who who was in love with a woman and he died for that woman, um, uh, saving her uh, so that she, she does not drown. But what if I told you that that story is false. That it never happened. That it's not a historically accurate uh, presentation of what happened during the Titanic. It's a story that was written by the directors. Uh, uh, they just wrote a romantic story of a man who, who, who sacrificed his life for, for a woman named Rose. There was never a woman named Rose. In the titanic there was never a man named jack in the titanic but there's a true story that all of us must know about the titanic i think it's very important to know this story there was a man by the name of john harper who was invited to preach in a church in america uh, moody uh, moody church in chicago The church was waiting for the man excitedly who was going to be their new pastor, who was going to take over the pastorate. He, he was known as an engaging pastor who, who, who previously pastored two churches in Glasgow and in London. Now, when the Titanic, we know the story, right? Uh, some of the story is, is accurate. Yes, the Titanic did hit the, the iceberg. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, um, John Harper successfully led his daughter to a lifeboat. He was traveling with his six-year-old daughter. He was a widower, and he was uh, I think he was 39 years old. So he led his daughter uh, safely to, to, to the lifeboat. But instead of joining his daughter in the lifeboat, and he had space to join her, he rather chose not to. And his reason was very simple. Somebody needed to hear one more time. They needed one more chance to hear about Christ. So he swam back into the cold, freezing waters, going from person to person, telling them about Christ. As the Titanic was sinking, John Harper was heard shouting out in the waters, Women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Even after, as he was sharing the gospel to people in the water, one man refused uh, the, the gospel offer uh, of salvation. John, John Harper took, out, uh, to, took off his life vest and gave it to the man and said, you need this more than me. He, he continued swimming from person to person, sharing the gospel, and he eventually died of hypothermia. He froze to death in the water before, um, but that was not before he he shared the gospel, witnessing to, uh, of Christ to people that were dying, literally about to die, and he was telling them about Christ. Then he dies of hypothermia. Four years later, after the tragedy, you can even search this on the internet or. You can research about it on, on the, uh, in, in libraries. After, after four years of the tragedy, uh, uh, there was a, a titanic uh, uh, survivors meeting in, in, in Ontario, Canada. One survivor uh, recounted his interaction with, with John Harper in the middle of the icy waters of, of the Atlantic. He, he testified that he was clinging to uh, sheep debris, when, when, when Harper swam up to him, twice challenging him with a biblical invitation to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you shall be saved, he rejected the first offer of the gospel. Yet given the second chance, with, with, with miles of water beneath his feet, the man gave his life to Jesus Christ. Then Harper succumbed to the watery grave and died. But this new believer was rescued by a returning lifeboat. As he concluded his remarks at the Ontario meeting of survivors, he simply stated this. He said, I am the last convert of John Harper. I am the last convert of John Harper. Now when we think about this story of this man, we, we, we can see that this man was consumed by his master's charge to make, his, to make disciples. He, he made his life all about sharing the gospel. He, he made it a passion in, 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 in his life to make sure that people heard the gospel. And he died preaching the gospel. He made it his mission and i want to 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 put it to you this morning that the mission of the church is this mission we must be mission driven as the church we must be consumed about reaching out to people with the gospel this is something that must be in our dna as the church In fact, it is not something that we must be reminding each other. It's not something that we must be steering each other about. It is something that we must be doing already, naturally. As we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28, this passage is referred to as the Great Commission. It is a commission that Jesus gives his disciples to reach out to the world with the gospel message. And when you look at the context, you see that the Great Commission comes right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew records the the resurrection in verses 1 uh, to verse 10 of of chapter 28, where Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to to see the tomb where Jesus was, was laid. And to their astonishment, when they got there, they found the tomb was empty, and an angel announced to them that, uh, announced to them the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, um, the angel says this. He says, he is not here speaking about Christ. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So a few moments later, after this encounter with the angel, Uh, Jesus appears to them as they are going to inform the disciples of what they have experienced and and of the good news of of his rising. And in verse 9 and 10, this is what Jesus says to them. He says, uh, we we are told, And and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and and took his feet and, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see, here in our passage in verses 18 to verse 20, Jesus is with, the, with his disciples in Galilee. And you can almost sense the, their joy and, and their disbelief. The previous day, they were hiding themselves with, from fear that they might also face the same fate their master faced at the, the hands of the Romans. But now they are joyfully looking at Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, who defeated death. Now they are standing in front of him, are risen Lord, the conqueror himself. And he gives them the great commission. And, and I want us, as we look at this great commission, to, to, to just observe a few things. Just make a few observations before we go into detail. Um, first, one thing that we see about this commission is that it was, it was not just a charge to the disciples in the first century alone. Because Jesus promises his presence to them, when you look at, you look at verse 20, he, he promises his presence to the very end of the age, which leads us to conclude that this is a charge for the church in every age. It was not just in the first century. Again, what, what, another thing that we, 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 we observe in this, in this passage, you observe that it requires action from the church. It doesn't require a lazy church. It requires that we be a a church that is always active in in, in performing this task. The the church is to go and make disciples, not to stay and wait for them to come. If we do the later, it's, it's very important, and I'm going to repeat this again. If we do the later, if we just wait for them to come in, Eventually, we're not going to have a church. Eventually, we're going to close down the doors. Thirdly, one thing that we notice again is that this charge that Jesus gives is not ethnically bound. It's not ethnically bound. He says, make disciples of all nations. It, it means that it is not uh, the people in my culture alone uh, uh, that I share the gospel with. But the church says, make disciples of all nations. Now, now consider the passage in detail as we, as we look at it. We see four things. Four things that help us to carry out the Great Commission. First, we see our confidence, we see our, our goal. we see our method, and we see our comfort. Let us look at our confidence. Our confidence in verse 18. Our confidence is in the words of Jesus when he says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is where we find our confidence in carrying out the great commission. The the word for authority here is taken from the Greek word that can be translated as power. The idea uh, is, 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 is one who has the ability to do anything or say anything that they please. And notice the extent of this power that Jesus is talking about. He says he possesses all authority not some of authority he possesses all authority meaning that there is nothing that is that is not under his power all authority and notice again the scope of his power he says in heaven and on earth he has all authority the extent the scope is 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 in heaven and on earth in other words the Lordship sheep of jesus christ is universal the testimony of the the gospel according to matthew with regards to the authority of jesus is very clear when we look at matthew chapter 7 verse 20 verse 29 we, we see that there was authority in his teaching In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 to 13, he exercised authority in healing. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, he exercised authority in forgiving sin. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, he exercised authority over Satan and demons. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 23, he exercised authority over nature itself. And here in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus makes it clear that he has all authority. Warren Wesby comments on this passage saying, Since Jesus Christ today has all authority, we must obey him without fear. No matter where he leads us, no matter what circumstances we face, he is in control. By his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated all enemies and won for himself all authority. You see, the fact that our Lord has all authority gives us confident, confidence in the fact that we, we can carry out the great commission uh, and there is nothing, we know that there is nothing that can stop his sovereign plans. This authority also gives us confidence to carry out the goal of the great commission. Which leads us to our, our second point. We see our confidence first in verse verse 18. Now we see our goal. Verse 19A. Verse 19A. Look okay, at verse 19A. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Our goal. Jesus announces to the disciples uh, his authority over all things. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples. In other words, Jesus' universal lordship demands a universal mission. He is Lord over heaven and earth. Universal lordship. And so, because he is Lord over heaven and earth, he demands that we go into all the world to announce his lordship. So in this verse... The key words that stand out are the words go, are the words make disciples, and the words all nation. And and we have already noted that Jesus here is not speaking to the 11 disciples that are with him alone, but he's speaking to every Christian in every age. In other words, making disciples must be the goal of every single Christian. this command to make disciples is all inclusive in terms of who we reach out to he says make disciples of all nations the Greek word here for, for nations is ethnos it's ethnos this is where we get our English word ethnicity immediately we can see Christ's desire for the face of his church right we can see what Christ wants his church to look like right a, a church that is filled with people from every tribe tongue and nation with 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 people from all ethnos this is what Christ wants his church to be like at the end of the day he he doesn't want his church to be isolated by ethnicity he doesn't want his church to be isolated by language Especially in a city like this, where there are uh, different people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. The the, the goal of the church, must not. we must not have a target market, right? We must not have a target market where we say, no, we reach out to these kinds of people alone. We reach out to each and every single one who needs to hear the gospel. And who needs to hear the gospel? Every one. So we see our goal here every christian must be in the business of making disciples in the business of evangelism it it is not something that we relegate to the pastor and say you know it's it's the pastor's job or something that we say you know we we leave to christians who who have that desire right that who Christians who have a greater interest in the things of God. No one can look at the Great Commission and, and, and uh, being a Christian, I'm talking to Christians, no one can look at the Great Commission as a Christian and saying, this is not something I'm interested in. We must ask about your Christianity. John, John, uh, J. I. parker rightly says this he says this he says evangelism is an is the inalienable responsibility of every christian community and every christian person we are all under orders to devote ourselves to spreading the gospel and to use all our ingenuity and enterprise to bring it to the notice of the whole world The Christian, therefore, must constantly be searching his conscience, asking himself if he is doing all that he might be doing in this field. For this is a responsibility that cannot be shrugged off. No one can say, this is not my thing. It's not, (laughs) this is supposed to be your thing as a Christian. You, you, as a Christian, you must be consumed about the mission of our Lord. And if you are not, you must ask yourself where your heart is. And it is sad today to see Christians moving away from this mission of making disciples. To see Christians relegating it to, 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 to the pastor and saying, this is the pastor's work. This is not the pastor's work. This is the church's work. This is the work of every Christian. Francis Chen wisely observes saying this. He says, why is it that we we see so little disciple making taking place in our church today? Do we really believe that Jesus told his disciples to make disciples? Jesus told his early followers to make disciples, but want 21st century church to do something different? None of us would claim to believe this. But somehow we have created a church culture where the paid ministers do the ministry and the rest of us just show up, put some money in the plate, and leave feeling inspired or, or fed. We, we have moved so far away from Jesus' command that many Christians don't have a frame of reference for what disciple-making looks like. They so just come to church, go back, come back again on Sunday, go to work, meet a lot of people, come across a lot of people. It never crosses their mind to share the gospel. You see, the desire to make disciples first flows from our personal faith and, and realization of the joy and peace that we have in Christ because of being saved. And, and out of that, this helps us to look at people from a different perspective. It helps us to look at people from a different eye. The, that the greatest need of man is a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And, and, and we, we start to seek to let people know of this joy, of this peace that is found in Christ. It's like a beggar who has found where the bread is and going back to tell other beggars that there's abundance of bread there. J.R. Parker says again, the truth about salvation has been made known to us not not for us simply to preserve it though we must certainly do that but also primarily for us to spread once we know this truth about Christ this peace that we find in him this joy that we find in him we must we must have that desire to spread it we do not keep it to ourselves Again, the desire to make disciples flow, flow from a love for people. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that what the, the Bible says we must do? It says we must love God, right? Love God first with everything in us, right? With heart, mind, soul, with, with will, with strength, everything in us. But it says we must do what as well? We must love our neighbors ourselves. And when it says love your neighbor, it is not talking just about your next door neighbor. It is talking about each and every one that you encounter. True love for someone is displayed in seeking their good and their welfare, and what better way to do that by than by telling them about Jesus Christ? Knowing that uh, the Bible, uh, knowing what uh, the Bible says about people who are not in Christ. People who, who, are, who, who are not committed to Christ, people whose lives are, are, are not in Christ, must give us the urgency of reaching out to them with the gospel. When you look at Ephesians 2, it speaks in graphic terms about people who are not in Christ. This is what it says. It says they are dead in their sins and trespasses. They are under the control of the world, the control of Satan and the control of the flesh. It says they are sons of disobedience, they are children of wrath. Again, when we look at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse thirty six, Jesus says that those who are not in him, the wrath of God abides. On them it, re- it remains on them, and knowing and understanding this should compel us to, to call people to the saving knowledge of Christ. We, 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 we know this and, and see people in danger of the wrath of God, people in danger of plunging into hell. That is the greatest act of mercy. The greatest act of love to tell people about Christ and i 'm thinking as as we go about doing this and as we're thinking about it the the the, the, the practical ways that we can reach out to people uh, Practically, going about making disciples will require that we create opportunities that will enable us to share the gospel with people. And, and people are different. Sometimes you, you will need to build a close bond, bonds with people in order to, for them to trust you with, with saying things in, in their lives and, 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 and sharing the gospel with them. So uh, when we think about it practically, because we are living in this world and we, 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 we do things that people do, you could make sure that you only get your hair done in the same place every time. That you know your hairdresser. Get to interact with them. Know about their families. You, you could go have your coffee in one shop. Go to one coffee shop over and over and over again until they know what kind of coffee you want before you even ask. Go to the same park. Make opportunities. Gain these opportunities of one day sharing the gospel with these people. Inviting people over for dinner. We, we, we don't isolate ourselves as Christians. Amen? Christians don't isolate themselves from the world. Of course, we must not engage in in worldliness, but we don't isolate ourselves in the world. The Bible calls us the salt of the world. It calls us the light of the world. What are we doing? Practically, these are things that we must be doing. Get to know people around you. Get to know the guy who, who cuts your hair. Brother, obey. Get to know the the, the lady who does your hair. Get to know these people. Form bonds of friendship, of of closeness, so that you can speak into people's lives. It's very important that we we approach people with respect, with, with courtesy. That we do not treat people as cases, right? As projects. We, we, we don't just go there and shoot and expect something to happen. Sometimes it's just going back over and over and over again. I know how many times I've refused the gospel from people, but I know people did not give up on me. They kept on doing what? They kept sharing the gospel. This is something that we must make sure It's our mission as Christians, as the church. We must make a difference in the world, and the only way we can make a lasting difference is through this great commission, is sharing the gospel with people. You see, our presence in the world must be like that of the Philippians who were sent out to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. J.R. Parker says again, he says, Every Christian, therefore, has a God-given obligation to make known the gospel of Christ. It's a God-given obligation. It's not an option. And every Christian who declares the gospel message to any fellow man does as Christ's ambassador and representative, according to the terms of his God. God-given commission, such is the authority and such the responsibility of the church and of the Christian in evangelism. When, we, when, we, when, we, when we're looking at this goal of the, of the church to make disciples, to go and make disciples, this is the heart of God. This is the heart of Christ. We know that when Christ looked at the crowds, he would feel compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now we are the shepherd we have found. We we are the sheep we have found a shepherd. And we go out there to reach out to other sheep who are lost and say, There's a great shepherd who loves you. There's a great shepherd who laid his life for you. Come to him. His arms are wide open. This is our mission. This is our privilege. This is something that we must be doing as a church. So we look at. That we have this confidence and we have this goal that Christ has given us. And how do we go about carrying it out? We see our third point here, our method. Our method in verse 19b to 20a. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's, that's our goal. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's our method. Here, Jesus mentions two necessities of making disciples. He says baptizing them and teaching them. You see, the next step that follows for for someone who has become a disciple was for them to publicly testify of their new identity in Christ. And this demonstrated that they, they are no longer living the life that they lived and are now making, uh, are now working in newness of life. And Once again, I must note here, as I've already did last week, that one does not become a disciple by being baptized. But they are baptized because they have become disciples. Baptism is an outward testimony of an inward change. Right? So, these people that are being baptized, when Jesus says baptizing them, uh, he, it, it follows uh, logically that they are already what? They are already made disciples. Right? So, they are made disciples. And it's very easy to, to miss the, the importance of baptism in our age. It's very easy to miss the importance of baptism because anyone just wants to be baptized and they think that that is all. But in the early church, baptism was a big deal. It was a big, big deal. It was an important thing. It it, it was something that that, that clearly marked out an individual as a follower of Christ. Uh, Being plunged into the water showed that one was identifying with Christ in his death. And, and coming out of the waters showed that um, one was identifying with Christ in, in his resurrection. And, and Francis Chen explains this. He says, when first century Christians took this step of identifying with Christ, with, with, themselves with the death and resurrection of, of Jesus, they were publicly declaring their allegiance to Christ. This immediately marked them out for martyrdom of all the hostility that the world felt towards Jesus would now be directed to them. Baptism was a declaration that a person's life, identity, and priorities were, 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 were created on Jesus and his mission. In other words, what Francis Chen is saying here is that identifying with Christ in the first century through baptism, meant that you were signing your death warrant. You were saying Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. You were rejecting the lordship of Caesar. You were accepting the lordship of Jesus. And in that way, you were signing your death warrant. It it means that being a Christian was not something that was fashionable like today. It was not something that people put on a CV and it's easy for them to get a job because of that. It meant that you, you became ostracized when you identified yourself with Christ. It, it meant that you, you, you presented yourself to persecution. It was not an easy thing. Today anyone can call themselves a Christian. Anyone can get baptized and, and still live the life that they lived before they, 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 they say they were saved but it was different in the first century. People were committed. They were committed Christians. They were everyday Christians. This is something we must emphasize. And not only are we to baptize them, but the second necessity of making disciples was teaching them. The church's mission does not only end when we have made the disciples but we have the responsibility to teach them you see a disciple by by definition is a is a learner is a is a student so the lifelong task of every disciple is to study to understand and to obey the whole counsel of god so the essence of, of discipleship is becoming like the master. It's becoming like Jesus Christ. And, and this is brought about by a, systematic, a systemic uh, teaching and, and, and submission to the word of God. And of course, it, it's very important to note here that not everyone has, has, has the ability or the giftedness to teach the word of God. It's very important to, 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 to explain that. But I believe, listen very carefully, I believe that every Christian, every Christian, everyone who says I'm a Christian must have the ability to explain clearly what the gospel is. And must be able to explain Christian basic doctrines. You you don't have to to have this... uh, big theological knowledge, but you must be able to clearly define what the gospel is when you are asked. Um, Let me ask you, if you were asked on the spot, why are you a Christian? Will Will you be able to give a clear biblical answer to the person who asked, are you a Christian? If you were asked what the gospel is, Are you you confident enough to to explain in clear biblical terms what the gospel is? Do you know what the gospel is? These are things that we must familiarize familiarize ourselves with so that we are busy on this business of making disciples. Some people are afraid to make disciples because they, they are afraid of the questions that they will be asked. Right? And we know people are going to ask questions. And you're wondering, what am I going to say? You must be spending time in the word of God. So that when you make a disciple, you'll be able to teach that disciple. So we see our confidence. We see our goal. We see our method. Then we see, lastly, our comfort. Our comfort. In verse 20b. Listen to what Jesus Christ says. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our comfort is in this very last words that Jesus gives of assurance to his disciples. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, Jesus is, is not only in our midst when we gather together, but he's also present with us as we daily witness through the gospel. He he had remained on the I'm sorry, if he remained on the earth, if he remained on earth, Jesus could, could have not fulfilled this promise. It was when the Spirit came that Jesus could be with his disciples no matter where they were. So we can be confident, we can be comforted by the very fact that he is with us always. When when Dr. G. Campbell told about his experience. Uh, in in his life that involved this very statement. It it was early in his Christian life when he used to visit uh, several women once a week to read the Bible to them. And when he came to the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel, this is what he read. He read, Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of this age. Then he added, after reading that line, Isn't that a wonderful promise? One woman quickly replied to him and said, young man, that is not a promise. It is a fact. It is a fact. Jesus is with us. And Warren Wesby says concerning these comforting words from our Lord. There are no conditions for us to meet, even to believe. For Jesus is with us. Paul discovered this this to be true when he was seeking to establish a church in a difficult city of Corinth. Obeying this commission, Paul came to the city in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, warned the people to Christ and baptized them in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, and taught them the word in Acts chapter 18, verse 11. When, When the going was getting tough, Paul had a special visit from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, be not afraid, for I am with thee. Theologians say that the word do not be afraid appears about 365 times in the Bible. I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, done the research myself to look at how many times it appears, but I, I, I trust that that's how many times it appears. And some make the application and say, it's every do not fear for each and every day of the year. 365 times the Lord said, do not fear. So Jesus promises his presence to us. He promises the fact that he is with us. Warren Wesby continues to say, the phrase, the end of the age, indicates that our Lord has a plan. He is the Lord of history. As the church follow his leading and obeying his word, they fulfill his purpose in the world. It will, it will all come to a climax one day. Meanwhile, we must all be faithful. We must go about committing ourselves to this great commission of our Lord. And in conclusion, I want to say to you, considering the fact that we have full confidence in the authority of our Lord, that our goal is clear, that it is not vague, that our method has been given by our Lord, and in carrying it all out, we have a comfort in the very fact that He is with us. Is there anything that is stopping you from obeying Him? Is there anything... That is stopping you is there any reason why we should not be on a mission as a church do we have any reason that we can give our Lord and say Lord please excuse us excuse us we we we're not going to be involved in that we abstain right is there any reason any valid reason we can give for not obeying our Lord You can answer that question. It's a no, right? It's a no. Then if that is the case, allow me to say to you today, stand up, stand up for Jesus. You soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Amen. Lord, we thank you. You are God. You have commanded us. We are to obey. Give us those hearts that obey. In the name of Jesus. Amen.